0: Father, we thank you for this time to come before you to quiet ourselves, to know that you are God. And as Bob shared, that you work in our lives. You can do it without us, Father, but you want us. To be obedient to you and to be used of you. I want to remember this morning Dave and Diane Ford and, and their their work is, is Dave is doing a lot of traveling around the world right now setting up sports camps. We ask for safety in travel and we ask for blessing in ministry. That the name of Jesus Christ would be proclaimed through that work. And we know that it will, Father. Also want to pray for Justin and Erica this morning. Just pray that your will will be accomplished, Father. Pray that you'd protect that little baby that you've given them. And help her to... uh, Take the precautions that she should, Father. We ask for the right medical care, the right doctors, the right tests to be done, and the right caution to be given. And we give it to you, Father, and and again ask that your will will be accomplished in their lives. As we look into Acts today, Father, we thank you for the songs in the Scripture today that have pointed towards your creation, towards your majesty, towards who you are, Father. We praise your name, Lord. We we praise you and exalt you above all. Open our eyes and our hearts. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Acts. See if I can find it here. Our youngest daughter, Jody, is the activities director, I think I'm using the right term, of the Marquette YMCA. And yesterday was a big community event for them and uh, I had the privilege of taking Beth over there and we took a, a bouncy house slide the from nama and set it up in the gym over there and uh, got to work with kids all day long and then getting you know getting them in there and out and I mean there were some pretty tiny ones that were pretty brave to go into the bouncy house and just monitoring them, and it was just, I don't know, for me, that's food for my soul, just seeing all those little kids and having fun and and getting them in and out, and it's always fun to watch the the mini-exodus in two directions here. God is blessing us, and just keep praying that God brings us families with kids. Did you mention Nama? Yes. Do you mean Nama? However you want to say it, Nama, Nama. It's, it's Newberry Area Ministerial Association. It's the pastor's group here in Newberry. But we took a bouncy slide over to the YMCA yesterday in, in Marquette for their activity. So just, just, it's precious to see the kids and get to play with kids, that's always fun. <laughs> Especially the ones that are going, here, help me up. <laughs> there was more than one of those. <laughs> So don 't shake my hand today. <laughs> oh. All right, Acts chapter seventeen. last week, we were we went from Thessalonica to Berea. Paul and Silas traveled there and pointed out the the, the fun part of how at the beginning of the chapter seventeen two when they arrived in Thessalonica. All the the action verbs were the verbs that Paul was doing to the church, but when he got to the church in the Berea, the action words were what the church in Berea was doing. Uh, Verse 11, they were receiving the word with great eagerness and examining the scriptures daily. That's what every pastor hopes his church does, is to get into the word, examine it. and, And I love that word, Eagerness. Not oh I got to do this because it's required <laughs> but to, to be excited about getting into God's word and, and learning uh, and growing uh, so the, the church in, in Berea was receiving the word, examining the scriptures daily and many believed now of course what happens when when God's word is being proclaimed and and shall we say use the human term succeeding verse 13. The Jews back from Thessalonica that caused the problem there hear about it, so they're going to come over to to Berea just to cause some grief. Isn't that just like Satan? He doesn't like it when God's name is proclaimed. We know that. Verse 14, immediately the brethren sent Paul and Timothy or, excuse me, sent Paul as far as the sea. Silas and Timothy remained there, and there's thought that Timothy went back to Thessalonica to help firm up the church there. Silas stayed for a bit there in Berea as, as Paul went on to Athens. So that brings us up to Athens, beginning in verse 16. Verse uh, 16 last week we uh, no, we did start that last week we talked about the, the, the things that Paul saw and what did he see while he was there well, we know that the, the Roman satirist Xenophon we talked about him last week made the comment that there, there were more gods in Athens than there were humans you were more likely to find a god there than a person they were they were you could say they were swamped or buried with with idols all around the city that's what Paul saw. What did he feel? He was distressed and perplexed because the creativity of God, one, in the, in the artistic ability of these people to create idols, that creativity was going to the worship of idols. It was not going to the worship of God. And also, in, in reference to the creativity, the, the creation of God. Because they had gods to the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, and, you know, all sorts of rivers and mountains. They had a god for it. And that, 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 that cut Paul to the quick. Because the creativity that God had given these people was not being used to worship God, but was being used to worship the idol. So we know what Paul saw, we know what he felt, and we know what he did. Because he reasoned with them in the synagogue the first place he normally did in any city that he went to. He reasoned in the synagogue, so he was preaching to the Jews. Then he he went into the marketplace, and in the marketplace he encountered the Epicureans and the Stoics. And he was conversing with them, discussing with them about God, sharing with them and telling them. So now we know what he saw, we know what he felt, we know what he did, and we saved it for this week, what he said. So we're going to take a look at at what Paul said. uh, Let's see. Pick up with me in verse 18 of chapter 17. Also, some of the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers were conversing with him, and some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say if you remember the idol babbler is the the bird is the seed picker who who they're saying you you're not original enough on your own to have your own ideas, so you're picking from this person and this person you're just you know and putting all these things together to make up your own religion they didn't they they weren't giving him a whole lot of respect that was not a compliment there so they said, what would this idol babbler wish to say others said he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And we know that in the Greek, the word resurrection is Anastasia, and, and that these, these people in Athens, they, they were so into their their philosophy and all their idol worship, they, they thought that he was referring to Jesus, and instead of the resurrection, they thought that, that this Anastasia was was. Jesus' girlfriend, to say it any other way, and I guess that's the simplest way to say it, and they didn't understand that that word Anastasia was talking about new life, resurrection, and, and that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and of course the Stoics and the Epicureans had a problem with that. So verse 19, they took him and brought him up to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming, Now the Areopagus is on Mars Hill which is just about a half or three quarters of a mile to the west of the Acropolis and the Parthenon that you see pictures of as as it's being reconstructed in in Athens. But this was the place where the the council sat on Mars Hill called the Areopagus And, and it also became the name of them because of that was the place. It just kind of meshed together. But this council of of men was to determine if it was okay religiously, socially, artistically if, if what was being said was going to pass muster with them basically they were the judge jury to, to decide if what you were saying was okay to be said so they take him to the Areopagus he's not under arrest, it's, it's not quite like some of the other places that the, where, the, where the Jews have brought him in front of the magistrates in that But he does need to give a reckoning of himself. And so they're going to take him to the council. Verse 20, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. We want to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing of something new. They said, and and that was pretty good. I mean, if they're accusing him of being a, a, a seed picker, he, he must have done a pretty good job because what they'd never heard this before. This was something new to their ears, so they wanted to investigate and find out if it was okay to, to share. Just makes me think of 2 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 2, 3. Where where Paul tells Timothy, Preach the Word, but also be aware that at some point people don't care about the truth. They just want to have their ears tickled. they just want to hear what is pleasing to them. in other words, if it doesn't make them feel guilty or or uncomfortable that's, that's what they want to hear. So tell us something new. what What have you got to tell us now It's, it's understood from history that <clears throat> excuse me, when you go up to the Areopagus, that your defense or your opportunity to speak was usually two or three hours. well. The whole sermon here takes about two minutes to read. So we know that this isn't verbatim, his whole sermon. That Luke basically gave us an outline of what Paul spoke of. Because you know Paul, if he, was, if he knew he had two or three hours, he'd take four, okay? Uh, that was just the way it was. He, he wasn't going to miss an opportunity. And, and how, how we need to be prepared, probably not on such a stage like that. But we need to be prepared to share Jesus. To tell others about Christ. And one, and one thing we've talked about with, with Paul and Acts here is there, he, he knew how to address his, his audience. When he was in the, in the synagogue dealing with the Jews, he'd use the Old Testament. But if he'd started with the Old Testament talking here to, to the Athenians, they were like, what? What? They'd have no understanding. They'd have no basis. They'd have nothing to connect with that. So Paul was, was obviously an excellent speaker because he knew where to start and, and the approach to bring to them. Verse 22, Paul stood up in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observed that you are very religious in all aspects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what therefore you worship is something unknown. I'm going to proclaim it to you. I'm going to tell you who that unknown God is. Now a lot of the translations will use the word or the phrase there that you worship in ignorance. And that kind of almost makes it sound like Paul standing up in front of this council at the beginning of his speech is, is insulting the people. I mean, if somebody was telling me I'm ignorant, that that wouldn't make me feel good, you know. I, I'm sure it's been said, but, you know, it doesn't make you feel good. So I, I think the better translation there is, is to the unknown God now what therefore you worship as unknown not that you're ignorant but you you just you, you're worshipping this god as unknown as though it's someone that can't be known i'm here to tell you it's someone that can be known this this god i'm going to tell you about okay verse 24 the god who made the world and all the things in it since he is lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temple made with hands God created the universe, and you know what? The idols that you are worshiping about the sun, the moon, the planets, the stars, the water, the fire, all these things that you're worshiping guess what? The God I'm going to tell you about is the one that created all those things. The unknown God to you is the one that created those. He cannot be contained, he cannot be held in a temple. If you want to just write the references down, I'm going to read briefly 1 Kings 8, 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you, how much less the house which I have built. Solomon, upon the the dedication of the temple, and and all the time and the money and the the beauty and the artwork that was spent on that temple, Solomon still knew that, that that couldn't contain God. God was bigger than that. Isaiah sixty six one and two, thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. When then is a house excuse me, where then is a house you could build for me, and where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all of these things. Thus all of these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles. At my word, you've heard that verse a few times from me. But what, 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 what can contain God? Absolutely nothing. Nothing can contain God. It said uh, there was a Christian uh, in a foreign land who was being persecuted. And they were, they were threatened to tear down his church. He was the pastor there. And he said, you can pull down our steeples, but you can't pull down the stars. God's bigger than that God created all of this you may try to affect things around me but you can't top God you you can't you can't affect anything that he is and that he created creation is for his glory and again, you see a little bit of, of earlier in the chapter, Paul being perplexed that, that they're using their creativity, their creative gifts to, to make idols to worship. And he, he continues that when he gets up to Areopagus to, 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 to share and, and defend and, and to share Jesus Christ, the unknown, or excuse me, God, the unknown God. And we'll get to Jesus Christ later in the passage. But the creation is for his glory. Psalm 139, if you want to write these verses down, Psalm 139, 7 and 8. Where where can I go that you are not? I can go here, you're there, I can go there, but you're there. I can't go anywhere where you are not. We know in Romans 1, 18 to 32, where where Paul talks to the Romans, tells them about the, the understanding that if That we're made in the image of God and it's built into us. And in nature, we, we know that there had to have been a creative designer to it. It didn't just happen. But in nature, we see God. And why is that? Because we're created in his image. We are like God in that sense, but we're not really like God because none of us are holy. But he put into us a sense, a a knowledge, an understanding that he is. So Paul tells him that, that, that something unknown that you worship, he is the creator of all things. Verse 25, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. God sustains life. He gives life. He doesn't need to be sustained. We depend on him. He doesn't depend on us. Second Peter 1.3 We have everything we need because of him. Not because of ourselves but we have what we need because of God. A.W. Tozer, and I love this quote, and you got you to hang on to the last word, okay? Don't give up on me halfway through. A.W. Tozer said, God needs no one, but when faith is present, he works through anyone. God needs no one, But when faith is present, he works through anyone. That means he can use me and he can use you for his glory, for his purposes, to accomplish his will. Verses 26 and 27, God rules the nations. And he made from one uh, uh, every nation of mankind, that being Adam, from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Boy, there's a lot there. <laughs> there is a lot there to unpack. He determined the appointed times and the boundaries. He sets up and he takes down. When, when, when God brought the Jews into the, the promised land, and, and he told, you know, people say, oh, that's just terrible. He told them to kill all the men, women, and children just to wipe them out. Why was that? He used the Jews to carry out the punishment on those nations for the way they were living. And then when the Jews weren't living in obedience to God, he used the Babylonians and the Syrians to carry them away. And guess what? He, he uses nations just like that to accomplish his purpose. And even our country, we were here for a while. We're not going to be here forever because we're not obeying God and living for him like we did 200 years ago. 100 years ago. There's, there's nothing that promises our nation's going to survive God will, and our dependence on him needs to. But there's nothing that says our nation's going to survive. God sets up the boundaries. And along with the boundaries, he sets up rulers and takes them down. We've We've talked in the past that Satan, at any given time, he doesn't know when Christ is coming back. But as we're going to find out in verse 31, God knows. But at any given time, Satan has to have someone prepared to be the Antichrist. Because once Christ comes back, he's got three and a half years to, you know, and I don't think the Antichrist is going to be a three-year-old. Sorry, I just don't. So throughout history, Satan is working. He's always got somebody in the wings ready to be the Antichrist. He's got to have them ready. In spite of that, God controls who is set up and who is taken down. God has His plan, and He's going to work it out among the nations. He determines when, and He inter- determines where, and that they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him. <clears throat> Tony Marita is, is uh, his commentary on on Romans one, or excuse me, on Acts. <laughs> using his Romans one in the men's Bible study, but in Acts um, I, I, I got a couple different parts I want to read out of, out of it today just to help with that understanding that they should seek God to give you an idea what the Greek means because it's better Paul's language though also suggests the doctrine of sin the image he gives is that of blind people groping after God James Boyce says the word used here for reach out or feel is the word the Greek poet Homer used in the well-known story of the Cyclops. The one-eyed giant captured Odysseus, I'm, I'm slaughtered, I'm not good with strange names, and his men, but Odysseus got the Cyclops drunk and blinded him with a sharp stake. He only had one eye. Though Odysseus wanted To get out of the cave and find his men, doing so was difficult because the Cyclops was groping around to find and to kill the hero. In using this word, then it is Paul is saying, It is our sin, or in our sin, we are as unseeing as the blinded Cyclops. We instinctively know that God is there, but because of sin's blinding effects, that, that, that instinctively, that we know he's there again, Romans 1, 18 to 32. We instinctively know that God is there, but because of sin's blinding effects, we need divine grace to give us the new spiritual eyes to find him. Just as Bob was sharing in his testimony. We've got to walk with him so that he will show us day to day the next step, the next progression towards a stronger relationship with him. God is, as, as the Epicureans and Stoics would think, God is not detached, disinterested, or unengaged. He is near to us, but we need the work of Jesus Christ to know him. Bob, I thought when you gave your testimony, you must have read that this morning. I thought that was really good. that they should seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Just, just by using the, and it's the, the, the word pictures that you would see in the Greek uh, as, as Paul was, was speaking there in Athens, that the people, when, when he used those words, would understand the idea of the Cyclops groping around. And, and that, that, that's how they're, they're groping around. But, but guess what? God isn't that far away. It's just that you're blinded Your eyes need to be opened, and the one that will do it again in verse thirty-one we'll see is Jesus Christ. Verse twenty-eight and twenty-nine: For in Him we live and move and exist, as even some of our own poets or your own poets have said. For we also are His offspring, being then the offspring of God. We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. God is the father of humans. Then in the, the two quotes, the two poets that he quoted there at the end of verse 28, one was Epimenides of Crete who wrote the near, about the nearness and sustaining power of God. And then the other poet was Aratus, who was a Stoic writer actually who wrote of man's creation being made in the image of God. Paul, Paul knows his material. He studied He understands their culture and he says, your own poets acknowledge this unknown God. The one that I am proclaiming to you, your own poets wrote of him. So they had an understanding, They, they knew of who this God was that you worship as an unknown God. But they wrote of the true God. And I'm telling you about the true God. I'm telling you about the God that created the universe. I told you, I'm telling you about the God that sustains life and the God that rules all nations. And now that he is the God of all humans. Being the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone an image. God, God is not like this stone. The stones that you have carved and and the wood that you have carved and the beautiful idols. God is not like that. God created these things. Therefore, having overlooked verse 30, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, and it goes right back to the word in, in verse 23, what therefore you worship in ignorance or as something unknown. Here, having overlooked the times of the unknown or the ignorance, the the times that that you haven't acknowledged God for who he is, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent. (coughs) Verse 31, because he has fixed the day. (coughs) Sorry, excuse me. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. There's coming a day. God, God, God's going to overlook your ignorance, your, your ignoring of the true God for a short time. But there will be a judgment There's a very specific date that that's going to happen. And he will be the judge because he wrote the law. He's the only one that can be the judge. That's why we ought not to judge one another. Because we didn't write the law. Only God has the right to be the judge. And he will judge. And it will be the entire world. By, by now, guys, your, your, your Bible should kind of be on automatic pilot between Acts and Philippians chapter 2. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. On a day, he will judge the entire world. Every tongue is going to confess that he is God. Every single tongue. Every knee is going to bow, whether you believe in him or not. Your knee is going to bow, and your tongue is going to confess on that day are you ready and it's going to happen through a man whom he has appointed having furnished proof to all men by raising you know anytime I'm reading from the scripture feel free to say amen okay because there, there are some really exciting words in God's book that ought to stir your heart and ought to wake you up. So don't, don't, you don't have to say amen when I'm preaching or talking, but feel free to do it when I'm reading the scripture, okay? Because he did it through a man whom he had appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. He's obviously talking about Jesus Christ. And Paul wants, is leading them from knowing that God, the creator, the sustainer, the provider, the creator, of of the the maker of mankind, through his son provided a way of salvation. Go back to verse 18 where it talks about that he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection, or Jesus and Anastasia, okay, the Greek word. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it perfectly, but um, it, it, it goes right back to that. He's preaching Jesus resurrected, raised from the dead after he died for our sins. There is a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. At the end of last week, we, I, just, I briefly touched on the concluding verses, 32, 33, and 34. It was the response. Some men joined and believed in verse 34. Others, uh, some who did believe were Dionysus and Areopagite, and a woman named Amaris and others with them. One more uh, quick, quick line through um, from Tony. Several ideas were perceived as outrageous by many in Paul's audience. The exclusivity of salvation in Jesus, there's one God, which flew in the face of the pluralists. Two, the suggestion that God rose bodily, which flew in the face of many Greek philosophies based on the idea that that matter is principally bad. And three, the notion that history is going somewhere, which flew in the face of the Stoics, because that was just fate, you know, it is what it is, what happened is done. These truths, in fact, still offend people today. And because Paul's hearers found them to be so offensive, Paul's speech was halted. Again, he probably got his two or three hours of of time in because, again, to read this takes two minutes. But when we allow God to work, there are results. When God will work, there will be results. Results people will come to Jesus and Paul took the opportunity to the council in Athens to share with them the truth to point them in the direction so that they wouldn't have to keep groping around in the darkness but that they could find him and that they could know him that they would know Jesus so what? big deal what does that mean what's next what do you do with this this week in your walk with the Lord when you Psalm 46 10 it be still and know when you meditate when you think on it what does this drive you to do father drive it home in our lives that we will share with our neighbor and our family with our loved ones because as your word says you have fixed a day in which you will judge the world in righteousness nobody will escape that father we know that so are we cold-hearted and don't love our neighbors Or do we want to share with them the love of Jesus? Oh God, grip our hearts, open our eyes, push us forward. Keep us from sleeping at night, if you must, to, to, to stir us up, to tell others about Jesus. Thank you for your word, in Jesus' name we do pray, amen. Okay, we'll take about a five minute break and I can